Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this episode of the show where tonight we're going to be talking about the Mad Monkey's film pick of the week, Eyes Without a Face, or Le You Sans Assage, or in America in 1960 when it was released, 1962 I should say, uh, The Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus. There's not a character to be found in the movie named Dr. Faustus, but we'll get there because there's stuff to talk about that. But as always, I'm joined by the bold and the beautiful, the Golgi Keith. Bonjour. Yes, venue à ma connaissance. Quelle est de songer, ressemblant exactement au visage de la fille de la présentation de ce soir. Bienvenue à Talking Terror. Ah. Oui, oui. Monsieur, oui, oui. Oui, oui, they hold on, they ain't talking together. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. And oh, why, thank you. Other pe- <laughs> That's great. I love it when you go French on me. Just love it. Give me that French kiss, baby. Love it. Lady Marmalade. Voulez-vous, okay, Mme Lacroix? Is that choix? No, so. Oh, oh. So perhaps not on the first date. Ooh, maybe on the second, <laughs> if you bring flowers. <laughs> We're also joined by the psychiatrist Simeon, the Mad Monkey, the Prince of Amores Day. Yes, get funky and French with it, Monkey. Yeah, King, we getting about as funky as in a French beer, a basement full of stinking ass dogs and throwing away faceless. But you know what time it is, right, fans? It's your favorite time of the week. It's your favorite kind of freaks because Talking Terror always comes to you live every Wednesday night from 9 to 11 on Blog Talk Radio. But if you can't catch us live, don't worry because you can then stream our over 500 episodes of Talking Terror material on Blog Talk, Spotify, and iTunes. And remember to always like and subscribe to Talking Terror on Facebook and Instagram, baby. What's up, our family? Hello, And you know, I would also introduce the Monic Dean, but he's taking another day off because you know he's got stuff to do as always. So, you know, Monsieur Punctuality, Monsieur Perfect Attendance is not here. That's okay. We're going to move on. We shall mock him for the episode. It's okay. I mean, he is. One more. He is like. He's Monsieur Francois. You know, so I can't believe that he's not going to be here for for a fresh film. It's a demonic theme. Yes. Viva la France. Oh, we love you, Dean. Let us throw up Let us throw up French panties at you Oh we love you so much Yes I am here Yes For your your French excitement 
And there you have it. And there you have it. Educate me like one of your French girls, Steve. Oui, oui. I said educate you in the art of seduction. No, Fiona. <laughs> so yeah, he uh, he's absent this week, so I'll be once again stepping behind the horror desk, which smells like a fucking Grateful Dead concert in here. All these half-eaten baguettes and wine bottles. I had to clean up. Like, clean this place up, man. <laughs> Lots of just bags and bags of corp. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It's spilled everywhere, and it smells like, you know, a Grateful Dead concert. I got a contact high from getting behind the desk again, so we're going to see what we can do and talk about that later. But first, uh, before we get into anything like that, uh, do you guys have anything you want to talk about? Yes. No. (laughs) Not me. I'm a loser. (laughs) So why don't you kill me? <laughs> I just wanted to bring up. Um, I don't know if the ghoul has had a chance to uh, catch up on Harley Quinn, but I just wanted to sit there and reiterate how happy I am that this mm-hmm. show has now been has now been picked up by HBO Max, just because of all of the new viewers that this show is finally getting like you know because we have been saying it all through season one season two watch this fucking show watch this fucking show but it was all done through dc streaming and no one wanted to fucking do dc streaming except the ghoul you know (laughs) but now that it's been picked up by hbo max it's finding a ton of new fans and i'm just really excited that this show is finally getting a, a a huge fan base behind it yeah, it's it's definitely picking up, definitely good. I, yeah, go. I don't know if you've caught up on it yet, but uh, you know, I am. I'm ready for the new episode tomorrow. But I also have She-Hulk tomorrow, so let me try to check that out. Yeah, I, uh, I actually I actually have the next two days off, so I shall oh, nice. be able to. Uh, oh, great! Yes, I will finally be able to to watch our uh, our, our Harley Quinn, and yes, I can also uh, catch the first episode of She-Hulk, nice and early. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, I have not watched any of Quinn yet. I just uh, just been busy with other stuff, and I don't know, just really just didn't think about it. And then I thought about it today, but then I was already on Disney Plus, so I just watched the. Uh, <laughs> and I would suggest you to do it too, Monkey, because you might like it. The uh, their I am Groot shorts are actually quite. I, ha- I have them. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, because nice, I have them nice. downloaded. Uh, yeah, and I, I saw it like as I was scrolling through because I. I uh, last weekend the diva and I caught the horrible Lego uh, summer Star Wars special, which was just bleh. Um, mm-hmm. But then I saw the I am Groot thing there, so yeah, I downloaded all that, and w- that it has your reimbursement. I am very excited now to watch that this weekend. <laughs> the little clips again—they're only like five, six minutes, and even that is a bit of a cheat because. They're maybe about three and a half minutes long because then there's just a shit ton of credits because it is heavy duty oh. it's CGI man and it's beautiful. Uh, uh, they oh. did a great job of yeah. it, um, but it uh, but yeah it, it's fun it's funny and it's quick so quick little hits with our with our favorite little Vin Diesel character. I'm Groot. What did you say to me? I'm Groot. I'm Groot. Hey, don't talk. Hey, don't you take that tone with me? <laughs> I'm Groot. <laughs> Yeah, I got to check that out too because I'm I'm more excited about She-Hulk, just because I know that there are rumblings that she's going to be in Avengers Five, 
So I was like, I'd love to see that character appear in like the cinematic universe, but I'm just looking forward to seeing what they do with it because they keep showing the trailers on TV. And I'm like, enough, enough, enough. I want to watch it already. I can't see anymore. I'm already invested. You already got my time. You know, I want to see how she plays out as an attorney, you know, getting trained, you know, by, by uh, Bruce Banner as Hulk, which a lot of fans are weird because they're like, I don't like this version of the Hulk because he's intelligent. He talks and he's not like Hulk. Like, well, did you ever read the fucking comics? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, Hulk had had moments where he was this character, you know, or at least, if not this character, similar to this character. But, you know, they always go through periods of time where you'll have them as this guy, and then you're going to get him as Angry Hulk again, you know? Who knows? Maybe we'll get him as Joe, whatever his name was, uh, when he was the Gray Hulk and fucking oh, yeah. Bouncer in, in Vegas, you know? Yeah. Um, he taught the school as that character, yeah. yeah. You know, so there's, so, there's, yeah, there's yeah. any numbers of ways they can go with it. I just think that for Mark Ruffalo, this works mm-hmm. as a happy medium in which, you know, he doesn't have to be he gets to be CGI, but he also gets to be himself at the same time. So yeah, yeah. it's probably a little less stressful for him overall. And you know what? I still like his performances. So so I am looking forward to seeing him in She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So uh, as far as what I caught up on, aside from Harley Quinn and all that stuff in between, uh, one of the things I told you guys about that I watched over the weekend, uh, well, this past couple of days actually, was the Netflix three-part series Trainwreck. Woodstock 99, uh, I really recommend it for you guys to check it out because it's insane, you know, what, what happened behind the scenes. We all know what happened because we saw it, you know, when it was on MTV back in the day, you know, fires and Woo! people just tearing Mud shit pit. down. And, Mud pit, Wallace and the Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, <laughs> Limp Biscuit and all these other bands like Rage Against the Machine, you know, totally against type of what 1969's Woodstock was. But to get some of these and stories 19, from people and that were actually there. 1994, man. You know, and that's yeah, really the big too. issue is that, you know, they saw money. They saw the opportunity to make money from 94. And that is where things went horribly wrong because that is not in the spirit of what any of that was. So it wasn't. And, and to, they do the progression where, like, the first episode is day one, and then you go to day two, and then you go to day three when shit really fucking took off and everybody set and fired everything. But it's just you see how underwhelmingly employed they were to handle, like, this 200,000-plus crowd to, with food and with water and, you know, showers and supplies. And you can tell why these people became what they became, like animals, you know, by day three, tearing shit down. They're busting open water pipes. Uh, this one girl was like, yeah, I woke up on day three and all these bruises all over my mouth and sores, and it turns out that I got trench mouth from drinking dirty water because the bottles of water were like 14 bucks a pop at a certain point. So I was like, ah, yeah, mm-hmm. they, just, they weren't ready. They just they weren't ready to handle the crowd that they got. And, and Limp Bizkit definitely didn't help anybody inciting the crowd when they were on stage going, let's fuck shit up. And they're like, yeah. You know, yeah, no. Nope. Don't do that. Yeah. Because these yeah, people are, again, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, Limp Biscuit. Uh, I still sit there and say to this day, yeah, because of fucking Woodstock and shit like that. You know, yeah, you know, they, they fucking ruined Mosh Pits for like 20 fucking years. You know, them and the crowd that they incited fucking mm-hmm. ruined Mosh Pits. <laughs> yeah. They, they, and, and, of course, you know, Fred is like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. 
Like I did my job. I'm a performer, you know, and I told them to get the fuck up, and they did. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they didn't really do a good job of common things, did you, Fred? But then, you know, of course, Fat Boy Slim goes on in the rave hangar because apparently this was at an Air Force base, which I didn't know. Uh, you know, going in, I completely forgot it was in an Air Force base. So it's all fucking tarmacs and shit. Like that. There's just no grass. It's all concrete. So, of course, yep. people are laying on the concrete trying to sleep and trying to do these things. But there was a, a rave hangar that Fat Boy Slim performed at. And then somebody high on hallucinogenics and alcohol decided to commandeer a fucking van and drive it right into the hangar. Just didn't care. <laughs> Just driving it through the hangar. And people are surfing on top of it. And then when one of the guys of security manages to open the door to the van, the guy's like a zombie. He's dead. Like, you know, his eyes are wide open, tongue's hanging out. And he's like, Jesus Christ. Like, you drove a van through here? Like, you could have killed people. And he's like, whatever, man. What's that 99? Woo! I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> man, it's, it's, it's insane. Just, just the le- and all the the rape allegations that came out afterwards of all these women getting assaulted, like it just, yeah, it was, it's a heavy watch. And of course, you know the the show promoters just, you know, kind of waved it off. They're like, no, it's a great time. Everybody's having a good time, right? Like, no, we have bands, and you know, it's great. Meanwhile, people are like, we're dying. No, no, you're fine. Yeah. Trust yeah, me. definitely not, definitely not a proud moment of our generation. <laughs> No, it's probably not a good idea for Rage Against the Machine to burn an American flag on stage and then have Metallica take on afterwards. Like, nah, wrong crowd. (laughs) You know, Rage crowd versus the Metallica crowd. Probably not a great idea to have those two meet up, you know. But then you also show... I don't know know about that, man. I mean, you know, listen, that's like the whole thing that just makes me laugh when people are like, oh, I don't understand why Rage Against the Machine is so anti-government. I mean, it's fucking literally in the name, people. Um, <laughs> right. Yes, you know, it is. Which, which in its own way does fit the spirit of Woodstock. Yes. The idea is is yeah. to, to be counterculture, to, to be against the, the so-called machine. Now, the fact that you're playing at a fucking completely highly commercialized uh, – Overproduced, mm-hmm. overpopulated <laughs> fucking concert thing. Oh, uh, you know, hey, choices get made, and and so does money. Um, but but yeah, I, I, again, I can I can easily see the Metallica crowd and and the Rage crowd, popular music of the time, and yeah, that 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 easily is fitting. It just again, it was just a shitty environment, man. And unfortunately, yeah, people thing. just took things way too far. And seeing uh, the footage of, they have these walls set up that separates like the back area where all the bands and all the acts are versus where all the people that are attending are. And you go and you see the celebrities like output of what they're getting. They're getting free Converse sneakers. They're getting champagne. They're getting food. They're having a barbecue. And they're like, oh man, look at all the free swag I got. And then they cut to the other side of the wall and there's people passed out. There's people bleeding from the head. There's people dehydrated. And I was like, oh man. Like, just to see that juxtaposition between celebrities and the bands and what they get versus the people that pay to be there who have no more water, who have no more food. And they were saying how they were taking, like, water and food away from people when they walked in. Like, they were taking bags, opening them up, and be like, no, you can't have this water, you can't have this food. And it's like, what the fuck else am I supposed to do? Pay $15 for a bottle of water? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is what they wanted you to do. It's commercialism. Um, You know, and it's worth it. You know, and as far as the celebrity end of things, I mean, come on, that's no do, no different than anything you see at the Oscars and shit like that. You oh, know, the yeah. only reason why this yeah. is any different is just because on the other side, like you said, you know, you're seeing people that that need water, need food, and 
And I mean, again, real realistically speaking, we're talking about a spoiled bunch of Americans that all came in to watch, mm. you know, a bunch of musicians. So that's it. I can't uh, yeah. feel too bad. I can't feel too bad for them, considering there are real starving <laughs> people out there that are not going to watch yes. music and and stuff like that. So completely agree. And they do show the crowd a lot, and the people that were there. It was just a lot of dude bros. It was a lot of frat guys with their shirts off. You know, with signs, show me your tits. Like, so it was a lot of those guys. It wasn't a lot of those guys who were like, I'm just here for the music, man. I'm just here to vibe. I want to see Metallica. I want to see Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was just 1999, man. 1999. Opie and Anthony and Whip Them Out Wednesday (laughs) were huge (laughs) fucking things at that time. So it was not just the whole frat boy thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was an overall sensibility of how that time kind of was. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and of course, I, I just love seeing Flea on stage with Red Hot Chili Peppers where he was just completely butt-ass naked playing his bass and just whipping his fucking dick around like a helicopter. I was like, God bless this guy. <laughs> Not a shred of clothing on, whipping his dick around. And then when the fire started, the Red Hot Chili Peppers came out and did an encore and they did Jimi Hendrix's uh, Fire. And I was like, that's perfect, man. <laughs> I just loved it. You know, all these fires are breaking out and they're like, go and stand next to your fire. And I was like, oh, man. What a great way to end this fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the best is I completely forgot is that Jewel was actually there. And I'm like, oh, my God, Jewel. Yep. On um, day he three, was. when these people were like, we want to fucking burn this place down. She's like, hey, guys, let me play you some music that I like. And they're like, okay, uh, sure. I hear the clock at 6 a.m. <laughs> I feel so far <laughs> from where I've been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's exactly what happened because they started throwing bottles and everything at the stage. Because she's like, oh, come on, guys. Take like, your yeah, shit this is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Show me your pussy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm done. I've been <laughs> Played two songs and just zipped right out of there. She's like, wow, that was kind of bad. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> you know, a bunch of just people just standing around going, wow, this is really nice. Really mellow. Really this, good. Like, you know. This song is about love and hope. Show us your bush. <laughs> I want to look at your butthole. <laughs> Did that guy just say butthole? I want to lick it. it. <laughs> like a nine volt. <laughs> I want to see it. Okay. okay well, I've been Jewel. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a great documentary. Three parts, like 45 minutes apiece. So if you guys want to check that out, it's on Netflix. And it's there. Okay. So with that being said, let's kind of segue into some news that I have before we get into the movie. Uh, so we talked about it earlier. Uh, the Cobra Kai Season 5 trailer is out for you guys to check out. I know, Ghoul, you know, you're not going to check it out. Understandable. Don't want to get any spoilers. Um, I checked it out. Um, but we're not going to talk about it because I don't want to really give anything away. Um, but Wednesday... That trailer also dropped, which is Wednesday Adams, the Tim Burton live-action series that's coming this fall to Netflix. That trailer dropped, and some photos dropped of the cast in costume. Um, <laughs> so I will say that I, I originally said I don't mind Luis Guzman playing Gomez. I'm okay with it. It's fine. Like, I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, well, that's not Raul Julia. That's not John Aston. I was fine with it, and I was fine with it until I saw the picture and he has this fucking mat of a wig on his head. What the fuck is that? I was like, all right. Okay, no, fine. He looks just like the comic strip, you know, uh, Charles exactly. Adams created. It's exactly. Fine. 
but that fucking wig, man. I was like, that, no, no, no. What the fuck is that? I was like, that's the best that they could find? Like, you just have his hair slicked back. You don't need to try to copy the comic strip for the hair. That's impossible because of the way that his hair looked in the comic strip. Like, it just, it's just, no. And then, um, so, yeah, I wanted to kick the ghoul first. Because I know you didn't watch the trailer, but I wanted to get your reactions to the, the photos. <laughs> yeah, again, I think every I think everybody looks great except for his hair. I think that is a uh yeah. it's just too distracting. You know, like that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. If if it was just bad, it would be somewhat livable. But the fact that it's such a distraction too cuz it's it looks like a princess Leia wig that they just cut the buns off the side of. Yeah. So it's like, what is going on with that, man? Like, yeah, everybody. I thought everybody else looked great, though. I think uh, I forget her name, but she's that little cutie from from X, uh, who's, who's going to be playing General the uh, yeah General Ortega playing playing Wednesday looks fantastic. I thought Pugsley looked great, and I think Catherine Zeta Jones fantastic. You know, like I was worried about that because Angelica Houston, like that woman resembles. Morticia, and in a lot of ways, I think that that woman is actually one of the undead. Um, <laughs> I know, but right? Catherine Zeta-Jones, you know, kind of captures that statuesque look as well. She's tall. Mm-hmm. She, she has a yep. great. She's got great facial presence, and doing that straightness with the hair the way they did, she looks great. So I am really excited to see this show and that and how it's going to be presented. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Monkey, what are your uh, takes on it? Because you saw the trailer, yeah, so I, I want to talk a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, I saw the trailer, tra- um, and I just want to sit there and reiterate, again, Ghoul is spot on about the Princess Leia wig, and Catherine Zeta no. jones looks yeah. the part, but, does it, but for me, it's going to be, it's Catherine Zeta-Jones. Is she going to be able to actually pull off the part, though, acting-wise, though? It's just because she's such a vamp, you know, but not in you know, the right way, in my opinion. It's just, it's, you know, so it's, she's going to be the one about, that's going to make or break this series for me, in my opinion. Um, but mm-hmm. I, wa- I, I watched it, but, um, you know, and it looked fun. But again, I'm going in with extreme trepidation because we're also talking about Tim Burton. And what mm. does Tim Burton do? Tim Burton always does. Mommy and Daddy same fucking, Yep. And it's it, the, and that's the thing, though, is, you can't do that with the Adams family. You you can't have no yeah the Adams being the non-understanding parents that per- Burton always puts in all of his films because that's the great thing about the Adams family. Whether it's the original comic strip, whether it was the original TV series, or even the the you know movies that we grew up with in the nineties. All right, was. They are a strong, strong family unit, and that, that's what makes the Adams so great is because, yes, they're weird. Yes, they're quirky, but they're always weird and quirky together, and they know each other. They love each other, and they are a strong, strong family unit, and if Tim Burton mm. comes in here with his trademark, you know, it, it's not going to work with the Adams family, and I'm just worried he's going to try and do that. Um, and to, to counter that uh, quickly, since I did watch the trailer, um, I don't think that Morticia and Gomez and even Pugsley are going to play a big part in this series. I think it's going to mainly focus on Wednesday. 
uh, and her going to Nevermore Academy and, and learning the things that she does and, and having a time of her life there. But that's where, like, I watched the trailer, and I didn't have the reaction that I did to the Monsters trailer. Like, when the Monsters trailer came out, I was like, oh, this looks like shit. Like, this doesn't look good. I don't like it. Uh, it looks really bad. But with Wednesday, I was like, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Like, it got my attention. I kind of want to check it out just to see what it is. But, again, I felt like it's kind of playing against type of the Adams family. Because in the Adams family, it's them living their best life as a family unit, and everybody else around them is, like, super normal, super uptight, super square, and they're just having fun being weird. And they don't mind being weird. And they also invite people into their home. And, yeah, we're weird, but that's who we are. But to send her to an academy that's basically Hogwarts and have her going, oh, my God, I love this place. Like, I was like, I, I don't know. didn't feel very Adam Sandler to me. Like, you're just sending her to a place where she wants to be. It's not like you're sending her to a straight-laced white uh, bread academy where she's the weird one. Like, that's, yeah. you know, so yeah. it was a little weird. That's, yeah. that's, when, that's Wednesday Adams. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, everything that you're explaining right now is kind of – like making me very like nervous about this entire series. <laughs> the idea about yeah. Wednesday Adams is always the fact that she is the quote unquote odd man out, you know, or odd woman out. Yep. Um, yeah. Everybody around her is always straight and she is just always just dour. And, and that's what makes her, her brilliant. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't want to see her surrounded by people that are <clears throat> like-minded because that's going to take away from all the, the comedy and humor that that brings. Yeah. And that, that's what I got from the trailer that she's like found her home. You know, she's found a great place. So I was like, why can't we go back to like Adam's mm-hmm. values where Wednesday and Pugsley have to go to this fucking horrible camp and <laughs> they are just fucking yeah, surrounded by a bunch of fucking crazy. losers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they're, they're the odd people yeah. out. Like, they're weird and eccentric oh. and different. Everybody's like, yay, Dude, we're that cool. That Native American performance was fantastic for the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> I am a or this could eat me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, this could be, <laughs> or this could be a way, like, I, I, like I, you know, I, we'll have to wait till we, you know, we actually see it to judge it. But possibly this is Tim Burton's way of trying to expand the world of the Adams Family and showing – where all of those odd cousins and uncles and, you know, distant relations possibly come from. Yeah, that could be it too. You know, it's just, it, it seems weird to, to place the character in a place where she's at home. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to hate it. Like, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it, opposed to the Monsters, where Rob Zombie keeps trying to be, like, be great guys. Like, he just released a video earlier today of uh, Lily and Herman doing a cover of God Got You Big by Sherry and Sonny Bono. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> so, uh, Sid Burton. Wait, uh, by Sherry and Sonny Bono? <laughs> no, Sherry uh, Moonzombie and the guy that plays Herman, uh, Jeff Daniel oh. something. Uh, they, they did a music video where they covered I Got You, Babe, by Sonny Bono and Sherry. Okay. And, uh, okay. yeah, yep. It happened. Keep, it's there. <laughs> keep digging that hole, Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, like, with Tim Burton's uh, um, uh, Wednesday, I kind of have a little bit of faith. I'm like, you know, it, it could be good. You know, it's just a trailer. I'm trying not to hate on it too much because I actually was kind of interested. Um, I'm not a big Jenny Ortega fan, but I kind of like the way that she's portraying Wednesday, which is just that very dour, very straight-faced person. But then you start to see her smile a little bit, and she's like, I'm doing magic, and I'm playing the violin now or the cello. And I'm like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> we'll have to see. Yeah, so she was at Hogwarts. I was waiting for fucking that, that big magician to show up. The guy that runs the place, uh, Double Deuce or whatever the fucking Dumb, name is. Dumble, 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 Dumble Deuce. <laughs> what? I don't know what his name is. I just know he's a big fucking wizard, and he's just like, you're you're a wizard, Harry. No, well, that's a line from that. Oh, that's Hagrid. Wait, wait, wait. You've never seen. Wow, of course you haven't seen the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> oh, my well, my, my ex made me watch all of them. Seen the never-ending story, you know? Oh, you have watched <laughs> Harry Potter. No, yeah, I have watched all the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, my, my ex is very heavily into Harry Potter, so I've watched all of them. And, uh, yeah, oh, I, I don't wow. remember any of them because I just kind of zoned them all out of my memory. I just remember I thinking that. a lot. <laughs> yeah, I drank a lot. I did. Um <laughs> I just remember at one point thinking that Voldemort was going to be fucking so badass and cool because you see him barefoot walking in blood at one point in the movie. I'm like, this is going to be fucking killer. And then they never really went anywhere with it. And I was like, well, and then she gave me the Half-Blood Prince to read, and she's like, dude, he fucking tears shit up in this book. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, he does. Where was that in the fucking movie? <laughs> well, he's like killing people in this book and just merciless. And in the movie, he's just like, I'm evil. <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay. <laughs> You said it just like the emperor from the robot chicken for their Star Wars catches. <laughs> I'm evil. Good. I'm evil. Good. <laughs> evil. Good. Good. Yes. <laughs> that's just what he did. Like, you know, so I was like, all right, that's fine. Um, but moving on from that, uh, since the movie tonight we're talking about is from France, uh, there is some Walking Dead news I wanted to talk about. I know the Dean always likes talking about it, so I'm going to take it in a different direction. So, Melissa McBride exited the Daryl and Carol spinoff series for The Walking Dead. So, she wanted the break. She left. So, now it's a solo Daryl Dixon adventure. And where are they going with it? The Frost. They're <laughs> dropping Daryl Dixon off. <laughs> for some reason, they're like, you know what? Daryl needs to go to France and just meet a whole bunch of new people. And I'm like, wow, I actually kind of want to see that. A bunch of French people. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? Damn it. Where's my crossbow? Where, where do they get <laughs> their cigarettes? <laughs> Who's making cigarettes so, in France? So, yeah. <laughs> so, for some reason, Nat, he's going to be dropping a different country. They're like, oh, it's going to be a fish out of water story. He's going to make new allies, and there's going to be a whole different set of, of dangers that he has to face. But that's on top of the already uh, talked about Negan and Maggie story that's going to New York. But they're also planning to do a Michonne and Rick spinoff that's also uh, going to bring back Andrew Lincoln and Denai Guerrero that played those two characters. And it's going to focus on their love story amidst the zombie apocalypse. So you're going to get that. It's going to be sweet. Okay, so we're not a bunch of dates. <laughs> So, so we're not getting just one, not two, but three Walking Dead spinoffs. Is that what you're saying? Yes, including the Rick Grimes movies that they still say are happening. So oh, actually going to be theatrical geez. movies. Yeah, they're playing the very fucking long game with The Walking Dead. Even after the series ends uh, this year, I believe, I think the last couple episodes are premiering this year. But, yeah, no, there, there are no plans for The Walking Dead to end anytime soon. In fact, Tales of the Walking Dead premiered on Sunday. I didn't have a chance to watch it yet. I know it includes Terry Crews and Olivia Munn. Uh, so I haven't watched that yet. I'm going to plan on watching it. But, yeah, so Walking Dead is not going anywhere. They're going to milk that fucking thing until it's just dried and dead. Man, Robert Kirkman, Robert Kirkman is, it, is just like rolling in a bed of money. 
thing. Like, isn't it actually dried and dead already? Like, at yeah. one point, everyone was talking about The Walking Dead. Everybody, yes. like, yep. everybody I know from where I was working to just random people, like, it was Walking Dead fucking mania. I remember when yes. we went to yep. Monster Mania and Norman Reedus' <laughs> yeah. fucking line was literally outside of the fucking building. Like, it was absurd, yes. with, like a five or six hour wait. Um, and like now it's like full radio silence, except for the fact that they just keep announcing that they're doing this and they're announcing that they're putting out that. And, oh, here's an advertisement for, you know, our fucking seven other shows that we have going on right now. If you want (laughs) the full Walking Dead experience. And it's like, look, you can sit here and keep screaming at everybody that the show is still popular and that people are still watching it. But I really think the audience is fucking sick of it, man. It got too crazy with all the zombie shit. There was way too much zombie shit coming out. Yeah, it just it all kind of congealed at once, and yeah, it's kind of just it's over. Like we talked about on the show, like zombies have had their time. It's time for that zombie period to be over. Let's move to something else. And they're like, well, let's just do vampires again. So then you get all these vampire shows, Legacies, Vampire Diaries, uh, Interview with the Vampire, that premieres uh, in October on AMC, the reboot of the series. So it's like, oh, well, vampires are back in, guys. Oh, right. And interview and well, don't forget I, interview with the vampire vampire coming back coming to AMC this October. That's what I just said. Yeah. In in its in its defense, Vampire Diaries kind of falls more along the lines with the whole entire uh, like Twilight James Teen Teen shit um, type of yeah. deal. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. the two spinoffs from it, Originals, which you know, again, I thought Originals was phenomenal. Legacies, yeah, that kind of goes. Legacies is kind of like fucking all of that shit jumps the shark and like, <laughs> took it into like, it took it to like a whole nother thing. Like instead of it just simply being vampires or vampires, werewolves and witches, it's like now we're going to introduce monsters and like zany <laughs> characters and other stuff. Yeah. And like there's one, the, there's one character, the necromancer. And you know what? That guy deserves yeah. a fucking Emmy because he is so entertaining. Every, every time the guy is on screen, I'm like, I love this fucking character. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's he's yeah, literally he's a he's necromancer, but he's got like a full on British, like flair. I am the necromancer. Like that's what that attitude is. And it is, it is phenomenal. Um, but yeah, the, the show itself, not, not so much, but, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I just, I just don't, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the zombie thing. Literally, we at one point we had a TV show in which smoking a type of weed is what turns you into a zombie. You know, like mm-hmm. kind of pushing the fucking envelope, man. It's just you know we're exhausted on it, and I think for me, I was exhausted on zombies when all of a sudden I'm watching a movie called Warm Bodies. And uh, starred Nicholas Holt, who played Beast in uh, you know, the X Men movies. I love and that. All yeah. of a sudden now the, I I just I can't I can't do it. I tried to get into it. I'm like you know what? It's something different. It's something new. But no, I was like, how how did we get so far away from Romero? <laughs> I was like, how how far? But did we? Did we? Did we get far away from Romero with that movie? You know, I know, obviously, look, are we going to probably end up covering that movie one day? Probably. We're probably going to do it, if anything, just to to torture the king. Um, But realistically, (laughs) think about it. (laughs) Let's look at Land Land of the Dead. 
and even Day of the Dead, in which we were okay, finding yeah. out that zombies could possibly retain intelligence and, and right. memory of things, right? So it's not too far of a stretch to take that and apply that to a love interest type of deal. We also saw it in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, where, you know, fucking yeah. whatever his name was, was hoping that his, uh, his wife was still, still going to love him with a pregnant baby and all that shit. The king's favorite yeah. part. Oh, of course, yeah, the best part. Um, no, but it all goes back to 68 with Romero, because he had the cemetery ghoul pick up a rock and bash in a window, and that was in 68. So that was that whole thing where, like, well, zombies can't use tools, and they're not intelligent. I'm like, well, yeah, he did that. I mean, whether it was on purpose or by accident, he already showed you that a zombie could pick up a rock and smash a window to get inside to get his food. Um, it's just that with war bodies, it was just it was too much, where it was like, oh, they're talking now, and they're falling in love, and they have to eat, but then Rob Corker shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm wacky and zany. And I'm like, ah, like, it's just it's too much at one time. Like, ease me into it. Like, a nice warm bath. Like, I don't want to be thrown in this world. Like, zombies like, hi, um, I'm Zach. I'm, I'm yeah. 19. I'm a zombie. And I'm looking for love, ladies. I'm, 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 I'm like, no, don't do that. Like, it's too much. Too fast. <laughs> you know, I'm not ready for it. And then on yeah. top of that, you have Disney's, uh, uh, even Disney has their own series zombies. of zombies. Yeah. I heard that. I, just, I haven't seen a single third, moment, but I heard that. Yeah. The third yeah. movie just came out. So, yeah. <laughs> so Zombies 3, I mean, which I yeah. believe introduces aliens to the mix. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> just like how uh, the third Lost Boys movie, The Thirst, introduced werewolves. And the, where the fuck did that come from? Like, God, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> can't we just yeah, have vampires? <laughs> I know, but look, yeah, this is like Zombies meets High School Musical was the premise of the original movie. Okay. So they, yeah. went, they went from like that. I, I, I kind of forget what the sequel did. And, uh, you know, I know mm. Samantha really enjoyed enjoyed the movie. And I liked the first one. I thought there were some fun things in the first movie. Okay. Well, you know, moving from, from zombies to talking about other monsters, and, of course, you know, teens and comedy – uh, let's talk about a new project that uh, Diablo Cody wrote. We covered Jennifer's Body, which she also wrote. So Zelda Williams is going to be directing a movie called Lisa Frankenstein. Set in 1989, the film follows an unpopular high schooler who accidentally reanimates a handsome Victorian corpse during a lightning storm and starts to rebuild him into the man of her dreams using the broken tanning bed in her garage. Filming is currently underway with Cole Sprouse from Riverdale also starring in this movie. I was like, you know what? Okay, so we're doing a Frankenstein movie. It's called Lisa Frankenstein. I'm actually kind of happy with that title. I was like, that's you're, 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 you. No, you're, you're just excited because you got someone from Riverdale in it. That's the only reason oh, you yeah. even brought this up, uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. Well, one, I'm excited for Cole Sprouse because I do love him as Jughead in Riverdale, but also because it's Lisa Frankenstein. I like the plan words, but also it's, it's bringing back, like, the Frankenstein story. And that's one, like, I am so happy about that. Because, okay, we get zombies, we get vampires, we get werewolves, we get mummies. Let's bring back the Frankenstein monster. And let's do something different with it. And that's why I'm kind of happy with this one. I mean, I don't like Diablo Cody so much, I mean, but I do like the fact that ge- they're doing something for me. It's just gender swap, correct? No, it's a, it's a man. Exactly. Yeah, she finds a Victorian man, of course. And she brings back to life. Okay, no, she takes gender swap on the doctor. Your doctor oh, is just okay. gender okay. swap. Okay. Well, yes, I guess I'm that, just yeah. trying to figure out what, what's the play on words. 
because Lisa Frank back in the day made all those folders that were really fucking colorful. And they had all the like, dolphins okay. and stuff like that on there. Yes, yes. No, I remember but, the whole Lisa, Lisa yeah. Frank thing. Okay. All right. Not now. Is that like on purpose, or is it just that they're naming it for Lisa Frankenstein? Oh, I gotta believe it's gotta be like something in part to do with Lisa Frank, you know, with all the traffic to folders and stuff like that. But yeah, also yeah. But Lisa Frank, Lisa, Lisa Frank was nineties, not eighties. Well, this is eighty-nine. It's on the cusp. I'm sure that she probably <laughs> had stuff in eighty-nine. Okay. I, I can't imagine that. I, I don't know. I have to look up the Lisa Frank Luck and Legacy on Google. I don't know what she started. You know, I just oh, I remember Lisa Frank isn't on Legacies. No, not on that show. No. <laughs> no. No. Well, yeah. Man, fucking what? unicorns and rainbows and clouds. And right? Oh God. The bubblegum. All the girls at Lisa Frank. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was just the multicolored folders and things like that. But no, I mean, like I said, yeah, of course I love Cole Sprouse, Jughead, always cool. But it's just doing something different and bringing Frankenstein back. That's what caught my attention. I was like, oh fuck yeah, dude, we'll bring back Frankenstein because there's been so many attempted projects over the years for the Frankenstein monster that have never come into play. I mean, whether they just couldn't find the money, whether they just decided not to move forward or greenlight the series. At one point, there was going to be a show called Frankenstein Cop which is the Frankenstein monster as a cop. And I was like, dude, I'm on board. And I was like, I would love to be like, oh, God. You know, you know and just shooting people randomly. No, because then all you got to do is hold up. All you got to do is hold up a lighter. You're all fire. all fire bad. <laughs> Show me your hands. Oh, no, lighter, fire bad. <laughs> Retreat. And just him running back to the car. Like, I mean, you know, but yeah. It's all these, these projects that, that come out. I mean, that, you know, but it's hit or miss of Frankenstein because they did have that Aaron Eckhart movie from a couple of years ago that I went to the theater to see, I, Frankenstein, and I it was the fucking worst it. movie. It was, was the bad. fucking I worst. Think I, I think I actually own it. Uh, we just have never watched it. Mm, no, it's just it's so bad. Like, yeah, I would rather watch a Robert De Niro Frankenstein than <laughs> watch I, Frankenstein Ouch. ever again. It Man, and that one was bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, it was bad. We covered it on the show, and it was just bad. Oh, oh man. Like, this, I, like, I adore Robert De Niro, but just, no, you are not the monster. Like, I'm sorry, you just, you can't. You just, you can't do it. I mean, I know that they were trying to do, like, the old school effects and not make it look like Boris Karloff, but, I mean, Boris Karloff is Frankenstein. <laughs> like, that's the one. <laughs> You're never going to do any better than Karloff, you know, so... They tried, failed, and they tried it multiple times, even with Dracula, like Dracula uh, Untold, I think it was, which wasn't that bad, but at the same time, it wasn't good. But well, they always try with the universal monsters. That was supposed to start the Dark Universe originally. Yeah, yeah. And it just, it, it, it wasn't bad, you know, but it just, it wasn't good either, um, you know. And then I saw a list that the... Uh, one of these websites was releasing a top 10 list of vampire movies and they put Bram Stoker's Dracula, the one with Keanu Reeves and uh, Anthony Hopkins on there, but they didn't put Fright Night or the Lost Boys on there. I was like, how do you, how do you not include those? Mm. Like, how do you not include Fright Night and the Lost Boys? Like those are well, two iconic 80s vampire movies. Yeah, but Fright Night is one of those movies that gets lost. Like it's what, Fright Night is one of those ones that is 
you know, for us horror fans, we still remember it. We still watch it. While on the flip side, The Lost Boys still has a huge fan base. Yeah, it does, as it should, because it's a fantastic movie. I mean, I think Fright Night is kind of like the more low vibe of the movies, you know, where it focuses on the one, you know, Jerry Dandridge and in this neighborhood, but you also get the fearless vampire killer, Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell, which I think adds a lot to it. Um, but just to not really have those two movies on there, I was kind of surprised. I mean, because well, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I just, yeah, I, I, could, I could live without it. Well, I mean, look, Bram Stoker's Dracula, you got a phenomenal performance from Gary Oldman, you know, yeah. as, as Dracula. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and between the various transformations of what he looked like, it was yeah. great. So the problem with, like, let's say Fright Night, I would say, and this is the only argument I could see them giving with that. Fright Night is just another variation of the Dracula story. You know, it doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't go too far away from that source material. The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I think The Lost Boys could easily go on that list because it, that, I feel like, at yeah. the very least, was a little bit different and kind of gave you a, uh, a younger, hipper variation of what a, what a vampire could be. Uh, but, but, yeah, I can see why Fright Night doesn't get put on there. Yeah, I, just, I, I really in, enjoy it more than most vampire movies because it's a great retelling of kind of Dracula you know, without actually having to go into that territory where Jerry Dandridge has his servant and he becomes fucking full feral in the movie. Um, so, I mean, I enjoy it overall, but, you know, it's one of those things where the, there's so many other movies I could put on there too. Um, but uh, moving on from that, I got some shutter news, guys, because we are going into Halloween season soon. So hey. Shudder, which I think is a must-have streaming service for horror fans, it's got everything from original movies to documentaries and series so with Halloween on the way, Shudder has decided they're going to have a 61-day Halloween event that begins on September 1st. The company announced that the lineup plan will have Shudder being the home for Halloween. What you can expect is Queer for Fear, A History of Queer Horror and Cinema, VHS 1999, a Joe Bob Briggs Halloween special, a new season of Eli Roth's History of Horror, and what got me the most excited is the debut of a new Dario Argento film, The Dark Glasses. So Shudder oh. is planning on hitting it, hitting it hard this Halloween season starting at September 1st. They are full on. And, yes, they are going to be the home for Dario Argento's The Dark Glasses. So, oh, my God, that, mm. that might be a pick. <laughs> <laughs> if it lands on the time I'm going to be picking a movie, that might be it. I want to go in sight unseen watching The Dark Glasses and seeing, you know, what it's all about. So with that also being said, uh, the Boulay brothers – who are on Shudder, they have a show called Dragula, which is essentially RuPaul's Drag Race for horror fans. And it's been a huge success, where they are into season four right now of Dragula. So this past week, they announced that they are signing a huge contract with Shudder, where they're going to have new seasons of Dragula, a spinoff series, and an additional series set to debut in Shudder over the next 12 months. So the Belay Brothers and Shudder are all in. And if you guys have not seen Dra- uh, Dragula, oh, I highly recommend it. It is so much fun. And it is so for horror fans. And there are so many drag queens on there that really know how to do makeup. And really amazing makeup, too. Like, they, they, they go all in with the blood and the effects. And, yeah, 
So I cannot recommend okay, Dragula. Okay, well then, well then, break it down for a second then. All right, so Dragula. Okay, it's a dra- drag queen horror contest like RuPaul's, but are you yeah. saying it, it's all horror themed? Yeah. And 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 they're supposed to go like, are you saying they're going drag queen makeup or are they going like Hollywood effects makeup? It's a uh, sort of both. It's Hollywood and it's also drag. So it's doing both horror and then traditional drag. And then they have different themes for different kind of horror genres, and then they break it down that way in a competition format. Mm. Yeah, so very cool. Definitely so worth sounds, it sounds interesting. I'll definitely, I'll definitely give it a look. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. I do agree with you in which if you are, uh, uh, yeah, okay, so it's kind of shitty to be like, oh, if you're a fan of horror, you have to have Shudder. Um, it is a nice service <laughs> to have if you are a fan of horror. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I only use Shudder when it's for something for the show and that movie ends up being on there. I have okay. so many streaming services that Shudder yeah, always do. ends up being like, one of the last ones on my mind. And I think part of that is because I have Shutter through Amazon Prime, so it's not like there's a, a specific tile for Shutter when I check things, you know what I mean? Like I have to go on to Prime and then navigate through the Prime menu to get to the Shutter menu. And then recently Shutter redid their entire fucking app, and it's like absurdly like, I don't know, there's no... They don't separate anything via genre anymore. Like, everything no, is just kind of no. like, here's just one real large menu of everything we have, and there you go. Like, I used to like the fact that it was, these are our series. These are movies. Do you like 80s movies? Mm-hmm. Check these out. Yeah. Here's 90s horror, you know, gory horror, this and so forth. And now it's just like one big fucking mess of stuff. And you know what? Again, without that organization, I don't feel like sitting there. Navi- I'll, sp- I'll spend five hours looking through a bunch of fucking clips and trailers before I decide watching <laughs> something. And then by the time I decided to watch it, it's too late, and I got to go to bed anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, man! Wow, yeah, because yeah. that was the great thing about Sh- Shutter is like, yeah, you, you like you said, like. Dep- depending on the month, you know, where or you know, like every three months when they reformat their shit, you know, they would be like, yeah, you know, seventies gore horror, you know, eighties slasher horror, you know, nineties <clears throat> pop horror, and the, you're saying they took all that away in the selections and they just, just kind of oh. threw it up into a big gobbly moose. <laughs> the last time I looked boosh. at it, it was just one yeah. big mess of everything. Every single thing on Shutter wow. is all available in one big long... And, like, that's the problem, too. I ended up going down the list, and I'm going down, and I'm going down. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I got, like, 15 rows down, 12 rows down, and then the fucking thing crashed on me. So, and that sucks, because now when you reboot it, you got to start all over again from the top and work your way through it. I mean, I don't... You know, and I, I don't know how you're, you're watching uh, Shutter because I actually pulled my Shutter app up, uh, and it does have how you could filter your movies. So you could go from Supernatural to Killers okay. to Creature Features to Psychological Thriller, uh, Exclusive and Original, International, Documentary, Comedy, Crimes and Mystery, Revenge, Sci-Fi, and Cult. Um, and if you don't want to go that way, if you're just like, fuck it, I'm just going to scroll down until I find a title I like, you could do that too. Um, but yeah, so as far like I'm looking at it right now, and it has everything broken down into the genres. Okay, so maybe so maybe I was up. in the middle of like an updating thing, or, or maybe it's just how it Possibly. is on Prime. Then I'm I'm, I'm going to check it out now. Actually, 
I've piqued my yeah, interest. Yeah, like I said, I'm not. I hope so. You <laughs> might. Yeah, because I was looking at it right now on my laptop, and it's broken down into categories. Like, I could literally click on Supernatural right now and just get nothing but ghost movies or sci-fi or cult for short. So, no, no. Oh, spooky, spooky ghost. So, yeah, I know, I know we're, we're doing only time, so I want to get to a couple of these things. So this, no, there's this, still you know what, that, then this must be the difference between having it on Prime and having your own fucking Shutter app. Because Prime, it's mm. still it's just one big, huge fucking oh, mess wow. of There's no, no yeah, separation the, whatsoever. Yeah, because I, uh, I use it on my laptop. I go right to Shutter.com. So I don't go to, through Amazon. I just go to right to Shutter.com, you know, put in my credentials and, and watch. You know, and that's why I said that's why it's broken down in all these categories. So we're looking at two different things. You're looking at Amazon. I'm looking at the actual website. So, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, I, get, I do it right through the Amazon app on my television. You know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't <laughs> use my laptop or my phone to watch shit. You know, I like to watch it yeah. on my TV. Well, mm-hmm. you might want to see if you already have the subscription. Then you might want to see if you can actually separately download the Shutter app to your TV and see if you get, get any better results through. The Amazon yeah, Prime true. account, yeah. though. Oh, okay. I, so I, I might have to cancel. I might. What I might have to do is cancel it through the Amazon and then subscribe directly to Shutter and just do it that way. But I got to find out if they have a Shutter app for the television. Then that's separate I, from Amazon Prime. I'd be interested to find out because what I do is I just I do the the old school way where I hook up my laptop to the TV and then I just watch Fuck it all that. On that TV. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, but hey, listen, I get to watch it. You know, take the two seconds. Thank you, Monkey, for teaching yeah, me how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you, also have the, but you also have the Roku. So. Mm. Yeah, and you have the Roku for your TV, King, so you can probably pull up the Roku app on your TV. I probably could, yeah, and I still got that set up. But anyway, so I want to run through a couple things before we get into the movie. Real quick, though, here's um, an interesting question because yeah. I'm looking at the developer here. Is Shutter owned by AMC? Okay, I never knew that. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, that's just recently, though. Like Amazon, I think, oh, I mean, not Amazon, uh, AMC, within like the past year or two, uh, picked it up. Oh. Because there's a lot of, if you go on to like your regular cable channel and you look up a movie and you're like, oh, I want to watch that, and it's a Shutter movie, it'll say go to AMC Plus to watch it. So oh. It'll redirect you. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they're bought out, but they're, they're still there. I mean, I, I love Shutter. I can't give it enough credit. Um, so once Halloween's over, of course, next comes Thanksgiving. And there is a new movie that you might want to put into your Thanksgiving rotation, and it's none other than Amityville Thanksgiving. Yep. What? Amityville Thanksgiving, everybody. It's a real movie, and it's going to release an Amazon Prime video on November 8th. It really has nothing to do with Amityville, of course, because it just will slap the Amityville title on there because that IP is being shared like a whore in French, you know, uh, town. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're going to... Throw her around and put Amityville on Everybody everything. gets a turn. <laughs> Everybody gets a turn. <laughs> so because we, we have uh, Amityville in space, which is coming, and also Amityville Moon, which has to deal with uh, werewolves. Uh, not in Amityville, just the fact that it's just Amityville Moon. But the trailer is up there on the Facebook page, uh, Talking Terror Facebook page, uh, and it does kind of have elements of the original Amityville where it's a guy being possessed in a cabin with his wife, and he grabs a shotgun, and he wants to kill her. Uh, then there's a turkey at some point that's probably going to show up. Not Thanksgiving turkey, but a turkey of somewhat. But I love the fact that the tag for this movie is get stuff, mother clucker. Wow. So, okay. really not, not, uh, not subtle at all. <laughs> no. Just I, I, I loved it, and I was so happy about that. Um, so 
a new Jigsaw movie is on the way. It's going to be the 10th entry in the series, and it's going to release in the theaters on October 27, 2023. No plot details have been announced yet, but franchise producers Mark Berg and Owen Cools said, quote, We've been listening to what the fans have been asking for and are hard at work planning a movie that Saw aficionados and horror fans alike will love. And part of that is giving the reins to Kevin Grutert, the director of Saw 6, which is still one of the fan favorites in the entire series. And they're not wrong. I do love Saw 6. So Jigsaw isn't done yet. We're going to get another one. And I guess they saw the returns from Spiral, and they're like, ah, fuck, dude. Yeah, we've got to go back to what works. And that's not a problem. Because you can just keep it going. You know, we only want to see the deaths. That's what Saw is all about and have it connect to, to Jigsaw in some way, shape, or form, um, which I'm fine with. So get ready for our new Saw in 2023. Um, and I want to talk about two documentaries before we Not kick off the movie for tonight. Not connected to the Chris Brock Saw? This is no. And this is going to be connected to the original, the Jigsaw, the, the John Kramer storyline, because they even said, we know what the fans want. We're going to give it to them. So, so unfortunately, Chris Rock, I'm sorry. Um, and I don't want to spoil that movie and uh, the fate of that character. But, yeah, it's probably good he's not coming back. <laughs> so, moving on. So, yeah. You know what? It obviously wasn't memorable because I watched it and I fucking totally don't remember anything about that movie. Oh, yeah. It's it's not worth remembering. Like, I saw it in the theater and then I watched it again. Like, I rented it. and like, no, this movie still sucks. Like, the whole ending is so jumbled, and it's so confusing. Like, the guy that plays the killer is so obvious from the fucking time that you meet him. Like, that's going to be the guy. And it, it is. It's just, just so, it was just not good. They tried to do something different, and it just didn't work. Um, but anyway, so premiering at Fantastic Fest next month is an 83-minute documentary, The Legacy of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The doc will focus on the elements of the film that garner the cult status of said film. I mean, I would have loved to have been interviewed because I think that I'm a, a pretty big expert in that uh, first film. But we don't Your have to humility it all knows because, no bounds. Uh, I just I know what I know and I know what I know. But it's okay because if you watch the trailer for the documentary, which doesn't have a release date yet, Jill Six, who was on our show, we interviewed her talking about her movie, The Stylist, is a part of that documentary yeah. because she is a hardcore Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan. She has the tattoos to prove it. So she is interviewed for that documentary. So if there's anybody that knows more about that first movie than me, it's going to be her. So I'm glad to see no, her in that trailer. Oh, no, 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 no. She does not know more than you, man. She is a huge, huge fan. She loves she loves another face. But, dude, she's not a bigger fan than you. <laughs> no, <we'll see. laughs> I mean, I, I digress. Because I try to be complimentary to guests and friends of the show, but you know I'm, I'm sure that we could go have a good head-to-head conversation about it. So, the the last item I have is that there's a new documentary coming out focusing on Stephen King film adaptation. So in 1976, Brian De Palma directed Carrie, the first novel and adaptation of Stephen King's work. Since then, more than 50 directors have adapted the Master of Horror's books in more than 80 films and series, making him the most adapted author still alive in the world. With that said, the documentary is being called King on Screen, directed by Daphne Balweer. The doc will feature an inside look on the majority of directors that have adapted King's work from the screen, like Frank Darabont, Mick Garris, Mike Flanagan, Greg DiCatero, and more. So, yeah, I am looking forward to this documentary. I really look, I uh, just, there's been so many King books and short stories that have been adapted for the screen. So I think it's going to be kind of cool to check out these directors and, and see them talk about why they adapted it 
and how they feel about the end result. I mean, we're still getting adaptations to this day of King you know, stories. So as long as that guy's alive, mm-hmm. we're going to be getting more King movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're, you're just keep writing, so... You're the, yeah, yeah, and you're making it sound like, uh, you know, the documentary is making it sound like, though, that the directors are the ones who are writing the adaptations and putting them to the screen. And isn't it pretty much what we've seen is just the studios and their own writers writing it and then they just slap a director on it? Well, not all the time. I mean, look at The Shining with Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> I mean, that's a movie where it went completely against type and it became a classic. You know, it's a director taking the material and making it into something different. I mean, even Pet Cemetery, Mary Lambert, you know, she took that original screenplay that Stephen King even wrote for that movie, and she made it something different than the book. You know, and I think that's what is going to be the focus of the documentary, is these directors talking about how they took the material and turned it into what they released, you know, making it their vision of the Stephen King work. Well, normally to the dismay of Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that's that's what I'm get, trying to get at, though, is, you know, and yes, we're cool on time, King. Uh, it's just super quick. It's just because it seems like most of the time these directors are kind of just tacked onto these projects, but it's not really like, you know, the, the you know, artistic vision of the director to capture this to, you know, to a lot of them is just a freaking paycheck. Well, the people that they announced, like Mick Garris, Greg Nicotero, Frank Darabont, um, Mike Flanagan, they are King fans. Like, they have talked in interviews about how they are fans of Stephen King. So it's not like, like, yeah, I fucking got the script for this movie, and I'm like, whatever, fuck it, I'll do it. Like, no, these are actual guys that appreciate King and his writing. So I think that's why they got these directors, because they're going to be the ones that be like, yeah, I fucking love it. Like, it's not like, oh, yeah, this guy named Steve directed an adaptation of it. He didn't like it very much. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's going to be people just showing their love for King, you know, and why they decided to direct the ones that they did. Like, I hope that Andy Muschietti shows up to talk about it, like, and why he decided to move it to the 80s. And, you know, his vision of Pennywise and how he changed it and things like that. I, I just... I love to get into the director's mind of why they decided to do what they did with the project. Okay, yeah, and, uh, I, you know, and no offense, I wasn't trying to, like, you know, piss on the project or anything like that. It's just, it's just you. we know that, unfortunately, with horror, there's a lot of directors out there where it's just a cash grab. You know, hey, it's a job. You know, and we know, unfortunately, yeah, that there is, you know, not always a lot of passion behind those projects, unfortunately. Well, no, yeah, there's not. I, well, it's, that's the thing, quite though, a journey. I think, though, at the same time, I think you're you're applying that blame to the wrong people. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see that more with the producers and the production companies more than the yeah. directors. I think it's very rare that the directors are going into any of these projects saying, man, I am just going to go in here and make a piece of shit and make a fucking million dollars. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You see that most Stephen King movies... You know, they, they make okay box office. When they're hits, they do great. But we've seen more flops than success. Um, yes, yeah, I would agree. So, so I think a lot of times it's more, it's more about those studios coming in saying, hey, we've bought up fucking, you know, 20 projects from Stephen King, so let's try to make as many adaptations as we can and get some on cable, and let's see if we can make something capable of, you know, competing with, with Carrie or, or any one of the successful movies. Um, yeah, yeah. But I also 
you know, I think that's where you really see that more than, than from the directorial standpoint. And All of right, course, good point, Gould. He, uh, and Mick Harris, he did the Shining uh, remake for ABC back in the day, which was a two-part series. So I really want to hear his fucking side. Like, what the fuck happened? Well, like, you just listen well, to Stephen King too much. All, well, he did that with all Stephen King's blessing, man. Yeah, exactly. Stephen King was, yeah. like, right up his ass the entire time. Like, hey, you're mm-hmm. going to make this movie exactly how I want this you know this story to be told, so that's. I can't wait. I'm sure we're not going to. I'm sure we're not going to really hear what Mick Garris wants to say about that, but you know, hey. yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, he is one guy that I would love to meet one day just to ask him that question. Like, how much was Stephen King down your ass about that two part series? <laughs> like, how much was he just like, you better make it right, Mick. You better make it right, motherfucker. Like, you know, okay, okay, all right. So we'll have hedge monsters. They're in. They're in. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I would just love that. Don't you be him. giving me none you know, of this artistic wrong. shit. <laughs> you read the book. You know what I want. Like, okay, okay, okay. Like, we'll do it. And Stephen Webber can it? play Jack Torrance. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be fine. Your <laughs> kisses, <laughs> kisses is what I'm missing or some shit like that, if I remember. Well, they, <laughs> yep. didn't want Steve, they didn't want Stephen Webber originally. They wanted the other guy from Wings, I think it was. Uh, really? The other up, guy? <laughs> I, yeah, I think they ended up settling for Stephen Weber because the other guy refused <laughs> to play the fucking role. But I think that's who they who they wanted. I, I forget what the other actor on Wings was. Uh, yeah, his I, name was. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking Man, about. But he, Stephen Weber had the charisma, like and on Wings Stephen anyway. King he was got to watch. <laughs> Stephen King must have been like a Wings fan, man. <laughs> Maybe. He's like, is Bronson, is Bronson Pinchot not available? Because he did Langoliers. No, he's not. All right. So, we'll just get to him <laughs> <a little> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's something we're Tim, Daly. No, we'll Tim say, Daly was the guy Tim I think Daly, that they yes. wanted. Yeah. Because he has more oh. of that, that intense look. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, she so, does. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the other guy has got the, the charisma and whatnot, but that's not what you're looking for with Jack Torrance. You know, you're looking for that descent. Nope. You're looking for that intensity. And, you know, I guess instead they were like, well, no, he's not available. Well, we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess we'll have to settle. We'll have to settle for this other wing guy. <laughs> it's amazing. I, that's great. I never knew that. That's, that's wild. Because, yeah, Tim Daly does have that, that seriousness. But, of course, Jack Nicholson, you know, from the start of the movie, you think he's going to kill his family right in the car before they even get to the fucking hotel. Like, <laughs> okay, man. All intensity the whole fucking time, man. Oh, that whole car ride up the fucking mountain where he's like, hey, what happened with the Donner Party? He's like, well, Danny, they all killed each other and ate each other. And if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm going to kill you too. Well, okay. I'll, I'll be Longest car ride ever. <laughs> oh my god! You know that the radio wasn't on, the windows are rolled up, and they're all just staring at the window. And chain smoking the entire time, chain smoking just <laughs> yeah. like our just like our parents did. Don't you fucking crack oh, yeah. that window? You're letting the cold nope. in. Don't you crack that window? <laughs> just staring at the window the entire time. You know, <gasps> are you having a good time? I'm dying, yeah. mother. I'm dying. <laughs> You know I don't want to be cold. Just breathe it in. Yeah. It's it's healthy for you. It's good for you. Okay, Dad. You want me to break your other arm? No, no, no. Please. I like my arm. (laughs) All right. So with that being said, we have puberty, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Eyes without a face, directed by George's friend, you 
Uh, this movie came out in the States in 1962 under the horror chamber of Dr. Faustus, but we're talking about Eyes Without a Face. Monkey, why don't you take us off on this ride? What's it about? What do you think about it? All right, this is the story of Dr. Hegonosia, a brilliant doctor and surgeon who is dead set on learning the secrets of heterograph surgery, a transplant style of surgery for the epidermis. But while he is so hell-bent on perfecting a technique that has only resulted in the deaths of his own patients, maybe the answer lies hidden in his own home, where a scarred child is forced to hide behind a blank mask. And the only thing you can see are her eyes without a face. That's a whole that we're going there. Curl that lip, King. You know you gotta do it. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> Roy, like Billy yeah. that way. <laughs> but yeah, I picked this movie uh, just because in some circles this film is considered like one of those forgotten classics amongst horror movies. And you know me, I love being able to anytime go back and just dig up some classic black and white movies. Um, this this was my first time seeing this, and I really mm-hmm. love seeing all all of the old fucking French cars, oh, yeah. <laughs> old French cars, Italian cars. I I love the crisp way that the people were dressing, and definitely all of the fucking chain smoking. All of the chain smoking. It's just not enough fucking chain smoking. <laughs> um, and while I really enjoyed like the twisted story that you know this film is based on. I have to admit, though, that I felt that, you know, every damn scene that Christian was in just dragged and dragged and dragged. I mean, oddly enough, like, even though, she, like, she is supposed to be the centerpiece of this film, you know, uh, I I thought that the rest of this cast was quite solid and quite good, and we actually could have done with a lot less screen time of her on there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but all in all, like I thought it was a nice little fun, you know, black and white horror piece, you know, that makes for you know uh, uh, what could be you know fa- family friendly, you know, s- Saturday horror time watching on the weekends. You know. But yeah, you know, I, I thought it was a, a fun little classic. All right, so cool. What you think about Eyes Without a Face? Well, well this was a first for me. Uh, never never seen it before. Uh, I didn't. I kind of fall in the middle with this one. Uh, I do feel like it did drag at times, and other times, you know, I felt like it, it told a good story. I mean, it's something that we have seen, you know, well, I have seen in, I guess, legacy films, so to speak, mm. when, you know, I don't know, like, you know, you think of things like Face Off, and, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of other movies yeah. that I've seen over the years of, like, you know, Transplant, or Fathers trying to to save their daughters and, you know, or their, their children in general and what kind of sacrifices are a parent going to make for, for their kid. Um, I think for a film made at the time that it was made, though, it was, it, it was impressive. Um, and, yeah, I think you know, for the most part the, the, the performances were solid enough. And, and, and yeah, I think, uh, I think by holding a little bit too true to showing her as much as they did, Monkey, uh, to, to, to kind of go on your point there with her scenes being somewhat boring, I'm sure in the book you get her inner dialogue, you know, her, her thought oh, process okay. and everything. Good point. Whereas in the movie you're not going to get that, or at least they didn't think to write that kind of stuff in. They should have given her some kind of, some kind of way to bounce 
her thoughts off of something so that us, the audience, yeah. can get it. Because when she's just a mask, unfortunately, there's really you can't even read the actress's face to get an idea of what it is that she's she's thinking. Good point, Cool. What about you? Yeah, Kate? How do you I, feel I about it? So, yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that I had seen many, many, many moons ago. Um, and it always kind of stuck with me because I do like black and white movies, um, and especially French New Wave uh, that came out in the 60s uh, from Godard, who was doing a movie called Alphaville in 65, which is amazing if you want to see what they can do with a thriller. Um, but Eyes Without a Face, it's not necessarily a horror, I wouldn't say. I think it's more of a thriller. I think it's more of like a twisted fairy tale in a lot of ways. Um, and I think everybody did their part in the movie. Um, I completely agree about Christiane. You know, how she's in the movie, yes, you see her with the, the, the motionless mask on, but you don't really get too much from her. Um, you don't get her mental stability dropping uh, throughout the movie. Uh, you know, if they had had some scenes with her kind of giving some monologue, you might have enjoyed it a little bit more, I think. Um, but overall, it's just really well acted. Um, and I just enjoy the aesthetic of Paris, you know, in that era of the 60s. You know, seeing the Eiffel Tower and all these cars and all the well-dressed people. You know, it's a bygone era. You know, and yes, a lot of chain smoking, lucky. A lot of people just like nothing <laughs> they could. And pretty, pretty um, cars. Yeah. Oh, my God, those cars are pretty. Sorry, mm-hmm. please continue. Please continue. But, yes. So, overall, yes, it, it's a movie that I, I recommend to people if they're looking for something different because it's, it's subtle. It's, it's a slow burn. But, you know, in the scenes where it picks up, like during the face transfer sequences where you're like, how the fuck did they do that? Like, this mm. is filmed in 1959. Like, how did they accomplish some of this? And we'll talk about it as we go further in, but it's just a, an enjoyable movie. It's a quick burn. It's an hour and 30, but let's get into the movie. Uh, so we open up with a drive into the backwoods roads of France, and we get a really jaunty cover of the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme, which is going to pop up again and again and again, you know, because it's fucking Louise's theme. Oh, jeez. Uh, and we think, <laughs> so we see that a woman is driving, who we'll find out her name is Louise, and she's trying to do her best Janet Lee and psycho set of expressions, looking into the backseat of her car where there's a female body covered with a really fun hat. Um, she sees headlights approach, and it's just a passing motorist. It's fine. So the woman drives down to the riverbank and then just hucks the body into the river, and then she stands back and does her best Anthony Perkins and psycho set of expressions, looking at the body in the river and backing <laughs> away and getting behind. <laughs> so then we cut to Dr. Genessier, uh, who's giving a lecture on a machine that can transplant human tissue or organs to another person. And by the reactions, people, they don't seem really excited that it's like a really big deal. But then by the end, they're like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. You're great. This is perfect. But that's when Dr. Genessier gets the information that, they may have found his daughter that had vanished previously. So he's like, well, I got to go to the morgue and I got to go find out what's going on. So we see two men talking about Dr. Genesee's daughter and that when she left from the clinic that she was at after having a car accident, which left her face an open wound, the men agree that the body dumped at the riverbank has to be the doctor's daughter. But maybe it could be Simone Fassat. I mean, who knows? There's a lot of missing girls in this fucking town. I mean, could be oh, any shit. of them. We are not the best Man. police in this area, so we don't know. And we're and dang it, there's a lot of missing chicks going on, and we just can't keep track of them all. But we, we just on we a, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, we are, this we your, so is this your daughter? And he's like, yes. 
my daughter. And then with this fucked up shit of the two dads, you know, outside of the police headquarters, you know, going, oh, man, was that your daughter missing? He's like, yeah. Whoo, I'm so glad, but, you know, my daughter's still missing. Oh, man. He's like, what the fuck, man? I just identified my daughter as being dead. And now I have to yes, come for you yeah. because maybe your daughter is still alive. You fucking French people, you show no emotions except for fucking funerals and weddings. What the fucking shit? You know? And it's like, oh. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, like, a- a- as we-, we find out from from the, the point when he leaves the uh, – he leaves the, the, the class or whatever it is that he was doing, the presentation. You know, somebody lecture, mentioned yeah. that, like, you know, he, he says such weird things now, you know, ever since the, uh, the accident with his daughter. Um, so here we have, again, like, here, here he is with this guy, and, and it is an interesting dynamic between them, because here is this man who is worried about his own daughter, but, you know, on the same front, Rather than sympathize with the man who just found out that, yes, you know, this guy identified that it was his daughter, you would think that, okay, hey, I'm also worried about my own child, and and I I am sorry for the loss of yours. Instead, he's still asking this guy about his kid, and it's it's, it's almost like a a selfishness that kind of, I feel like, in a way, helps establish... Uh, the the doctor as maybe not Jonathan yeah Jonathan as being quite insane you know in a lot of ways it kind of gives him a reason why you know you can do it yeah because he's very passive when uh, Henri uh, Tassat shows up and he's like is it your daughter is it mine he's like no it's mine like I'm really super sure about that. And he's like, well, she's been gone for 10 days, and it's not like her, and I'm just really worried. And he's like, well, you know, maybe she's still alive. Get the fuck out of my way. Like, it's just very yeah. He's well, dismissive. Yeah, he well, well, at least I'll, you I'll have hope, asshole. I, I got to go bury mine. At least yours, you don't <laughs> yeah. know she's fucking dead for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, is what people and, say. Yeah. Like, you know, dude, what the fuck, man? How about you show some fucking sympathy to me? I just sit there and had yeah. to pronounce my daughter dead. Fuck you, you yeah. little asshole. I, I see it from both sides. I do. But at the same time, like, underneath the side, it's just like, I just, I need to have answers, and I don't have any. So, of course, he's always thinking about himself. He's not thinking about uh, Genesee. Uh, Maki, you do a much better pronunciation of his name than I do. Uh, but he uh, just, you know, he drives off. And we, we're going to have to have a, a funeral <laughs> later. But first, we have to have Louise show back up. Hit my music. I was like, God, God this fucking Kirby enthusiasm music. <laughs> she shows up, and, you know, she's just walking by a newsstand and hears about a girl that's looking for a place to stay, and she's like, uh-huh, you know, and then, it's like, of course, we're going to find out what she means by that because uh, it's either she's really turned on or just really concerned. We don't know because she's doing both. Either so we don't know. Either way, yeah. she's on the prowl. <laughs> yeah, so we have a funeral to go to. And that's where, where we're going to have the body of. <laughs> so uh, there's a man standing next to Genesee at the funeral, and it's Jacques Vernon, who is a fiancé of Christian and student of Genesee. The, the woman from the opening, Louise, is also there, and we have the assistant looking deeply affected and a foreigner. I love that dialogue. They're like, oh, who is that? She looks deeply affected and a foreigner. Like, and I was like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? 
Well, you know those so, French don't like foreigners, man. They've had issues with invasive, nope. uh, invasive people. <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah. So, you know we're we're talking only twenty years ago, man. <laughs> they had a couple problems with some neighbors that were just a little bit too rowdy. <laughs> but then, but but we can also see now here from the funeral scene though that you know Jean-Ancier is definitely got some money because he is sitting there and you know put out some major cash for it. You know who the her her uh, burial site here, where he's like, you know, she's got a fucking crypt. You know, everyone else has got just yeah. yeah, you know, who's well, a it's, mausoleum it's the and everything. family mausoleum. Yes, it is. Oh, family crypt. Yes, it is. It's a Genesee it's, it's uh, says, family crypt. It says yeah. it on the top. Mm-hmm. Oh, so okay. That's the family crypt. Yeah, cool. Well, then right. that's kind of tiny for a family crypt. Obviously, a wealthy family, you know, and he's a doctor, so it's not like. He's in a a low income job, you know. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's always been a respected field, if not one that always brought money. <laughs> so yeah, so Genesier decides to put the wreath inside of the mausoleum, and Louise says, "Oh, I can't do this anymore." And he's like, "What bitch?" And slaps her right across the face, and he's like, "Deal with it." And I was like, "Oh, yep, this is the '60s, <laughs> you know, where a guy could just pop a woman in the face." For not agreeing with what he's doing, so we don't quite oh, yeah. know she, yet. She's busy bugging, and then yeah, his uh, his, his answer to that yeah. is, is, yeah. is a fucking slap, man. His his hand is strong. <laughs> we later arrive at the village NSCA, which is this huge manor. It's also a clinic for people because Genesee is a doctor trying to help people and and put their their bodies and faces back together. So we arrive there. And then we get a reveal that Christian is very much still alive, but she has to wear this featureless mask to cover her disfigured face. Uh, And then we find out that the girl that got dumped in the riverbank by Louise was a failed operation by the NSCA who tried to grab the girl's face on the Christian. It didn't work, so they had to dump the body. Everyone thinks that Christian is dead, so there's not going to be any questions. Perfect plan. Let's end the movie. All right, we're done. Wait, there's more. Because he tells her to keep wearing the mask, and he promises to fix her face. She doubts his abilities, and he's like, you want one, too? Do you want a five-finger slap? Because I just gave one to Louise, and she didn't like it. No, that's his daughter. Oh, so, um, Louise reassures Christian, saying that Genesee is a success story. Look at me. He fixed my face, and I'm perfect. All I have is this little scar, and I cover it up with a pearl choker necklace. Oh, fun fact, Genesee is responsible for Christian's destroyed face due to a car crash in which she was driving like a butthole. Just like a man. She, um, so. she, she wore a pearl necklace. Yeah, she wore a pearl necklace. Oh, yeah, she, she's wearing that pearl necklace all day long. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so, <laughs> so we cut to the next day, and, of course, what do you hear? Louise, here she is. And she's stalking the streets of Paris and looking for someone to take back to Villa Gnessier. And this is Edna Gruber. She's Swiss, and she's looking for a place to stay. So the two strike up a friendship. Everything's cool. Let's go back to the villa. I know these people. They're really fucking chill. You could have a room. You could stay. It's going to be fucking so cool. And she's like, I don't know. No, seriously. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, you could just stay here. You don't have to worry about your parents. You don't have to worry about the city. It's all going to be fine. So immediately when she gets there, she's like, well, there's a lot of dogs, and this is fucking isolated. Don't worry about it, dude. Like, just come on. Like, not like your face is going to get cut off like Leatherface. No, we're going to have fun. Yeah, all, all the dogs mean you're safe. 
you know, and that's one of the things about every time you sit there and pull up the, you know, Viajone Sierra, is, yeah, just all, you know, all over the fucking place. We don't know why yet. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out, but we don't <laughs> no. know why yet. Oh, but yeah. apparently, yeah, they got a lot of fucking dogs. <laughs> yeah, we don't know why, but uh, Louise says it for protection. She's like, well, you're going to be safe if you're here. Because there's a lot of dogs. So it's going to be fine. So Edna goes inside with Louise, and she meets Dr. Genesier, and he's trying to comfort her. Louise is trying to comfort her, but she's like, no, I, I really think I just need to go back into the and Dude, she's poor form. Like, not even smooth at all. Like not even just trying to warm warm up the oven. Straight up, I'll fuck oh, this no. shit. Let's get to work. I love that move. It's the yeah. yep. tissue there. I'd be like, hey, does this smell like chloroform? <laughs> just wait. It works no every time. time. Not like you know. Yeah, not like the uh, the doctor in Human Centipede who's like, oh, you drank the water, rape drug, and they're like, oh no, I'm passing out. <laughs> no, Doctor Centipede is like, fuck, I don't got time. Well, it's funny that you bring that movie up because I was getting vibes of this movie off of what I was remembering from The Human Centipede. It's like this this could be the spiritual grandfather to that film. Yeah. Oh. There you go. And there's also a movie um there's also a movie with Antonio Banderas that came out a couple of years ago. I don't remember what year, but it was called In Her Skin. Uh that's a lot like this movie where he performs a lot of uh, cosmetic surgery on people um, and has, like, a horror tinge to it. So if you guys ever want to check that movie out, it's called Inner Skin. Um, but oh, so Edna okay. is chloroformed, and Christian watches from afar as Genesee and Louise bring Edna back into the secret lab. And then the two leave because, ah, you know what? I want to eat. Like, I'm fucking hungry. We could just do this after. Like, we don't even have to do it now. <laughs> we'll just do it and have dinner, and then we're going to be Okay. So Christiane's obsessed with Edna, and she walks over to her, tries to touch her face, but when Edna wakes up, she sees Christiane's weird fucking Freddy Krueger face, and the girl's like, oh, my God, no, and screams. But that's all we get. We don't get Genesee or Louise running downstairs and, what the fuck? No. So the scream was for nothing because they are moving forward with this operation to remove Edna's face and put it on Christiane, which is a success. It worked. And end the movie. Credit. Great success. No, but but here we get to just this awesome, awesome fucking scene of just the operation. We get to see what, yes. you know, Jean Sierre yeah. is going through with the nurse and them working together and it's just a cold scene, if you will, you know, no background music, no nothing. It's very, nope. very nothing. Uh, yeah, and it's just man, it, it's just Intense is what it is, and I just really, really fucking loved it. Them just in there, do, doing the cuts where they were, and when we're getting the blood, where we're getting it, you know, with the scalpel here and there. Because again, they're trying to be very precise, very surgical. You know, the the scene is very cold, and yeah. but at the same time, it's like you know, I'm watching the scene. I'm like, holy fuck, we're actually getting blood. We're actually like. Am yeah, I watching yeah. what I think I'm seeing? And I'm like, man, this, this is really fucking intense. You know, it uh, is. Uh, what they're doing. Like, when they start cutting in their flesh, I'm like, how the fuck are they doing that? Like, it's easy to see how they could remove the face. Like, it's okay. Well, they place a fake face on top of the actress's face. Yes. And then they remove it. But when they actually start doing the cutting, I'm like, how are they doing that? <laughs> like, how are they making it look like they're actually cutting in their flesh? Because it was so real. 
Like I was like, I couldn't see, you know, the makeup. I couldn't see the effect. So I was, I was like, this is 1959. Like, what, Tom what could, I mean, I, I was, I was impressed with it, but I mean, it all seemed like, like what we would eventually see as standard fair effects. You know what I mean? It looked like the, for the most part, the, the blood was coming out of whatever utensil it was that he was using. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when, yeah, and when exactly. he was going under, it was because there was a fake flesh mask over her face and like you know he would lift that up and cut into it yeah. so to say yeah, yeah, like, kind of like kind of like when i did my leather face thing with the bologna or the turkey on my face yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so picture the turkey on my face you lift it a little bit and just put the scalpel underneath it and it looks like that by coating her yeah. actual face with blood yeah. it made it look yeah. like that was the face over hers well they were really fun about using a um uh, a scalpel that was actually with a retractable blade so that it could go in and out as needed mm, around yeah. the face for, for the line marks. But like the ghoul was saying, yeah, you had a bloodline, you know, attached to the utensil like you always do. Let's sit there and pump it yeah. in. You know, so, you know, we really sit there and, and study the effects, you know. And analyze. Because that's what we <laughs> yeah. do is, yeah, it's, you know, because we are always trying to figure out how does the magician do it, you know. Fuck you, Tom Savini, because you still have done shit where I can't fucking figure out your shit. Um, but, 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 you know, that's what we do here, and especially me, because, you know, that's the thing about me is the magic show, like you said, with the horror movies. And this whole scene was just fucking beautiful. It was really fucking beautiful. Yeah. I'm so, sure it blew people's minds at the time. You know, like this yeah. kind of mm-hmm. stuff was, was stuff that was being spoken about. You know, like these kind of surgeries. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're coming from a time now where some of this kind of, like we see, they're still perfecting this kind of stuff. It's not like, you know, people are just getting fucking face surgeries these days. Like, yeah, you got faceless yeah. and stuff like that, but we're not seeing facial transplants. You know, it has right. happened a number of times. You know, skin grafts occur regularly, but, you know, there, mm-hmm. there are still problems that occur none of this has been perfected yet so the fact that this was so long ago when that stuff was so so cutting edge you know so to, to, to fucking have the pun um you know was, mm-hmm. was, it was impressive and, and for them to do it the way they did it yes definitely 1958 yeah. 1959 whenever this was filmed yeah. quite impressive 59 i agree so the the surgery as we find out was a success for the time being uh, we get scenes of Denisier with the dogs in all the kennels and the cages, kind of being addicted to the dogs. And we find out that he's grafting skins onto the dogs. So they're not a fan of him. And they're like, oh, fuck, this guy. Nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, rah, rah, rah. You know, just get away from me, get away from me. Um, so while he's tending to the dogs, Louise goes and checks in on Edna, who is still alive, but she's heavily bandaged. And when Edna realizes uh, what the fuck happened, I don't know, i got to get the fuck out of here. So she manages to fight off Louise and run through the villa, trying to find a way out. And then there's a very fucking comical slow chase between Dr. Zenicia and Edna. He's just taking his time. He's like, oh, fuck all these stairs. <laughs> uh, oh. Fuck. All right. Hey, Edna. Oh, hey, man. come on, I, Edna. I need a, you don't want to do it. I need a stair lift. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and we see that Edna has reached a point where there's a window on the second floor and she decides to jump out and we see her body <laughs> laying on the concrete below. So Genesee's like, fuck, now we got another body we're going to have to deal with. God damn it. Like, why can't they just fucking hang out? <laughs> I would have done but something even, to help her later, but... 
But even here, mm-hmm. though, we have we have this scene of her jumping out and all, and after we gotten the stuff, you know, of the, the operation, I was still impressed that they were still keeping the heart going on because then you still have this yeah. big ass pool of blood. All over the front mm-hmm. steps of, of right. you know the, the via, and I was like, "All right, yeah. okay, cool, you're keeping this going." It was great. nice, <laughs> and to see that open-eyed expression of Edna, all wrapped up in bandages, you know, the Janet Lee kind of thing from Psycho. After she's killed and her, she's laying there, and you see her eyes open. I just, I like that. Like, I don't know why, but it's just kind of cool that they can keep their eyes open long enough to show that they're dead. You know, because I know Janet Lee had a really fucking hard time doing that. Hitchcock fucking drove her. And just said, you got to keep your eyes open for at least a minute so we could show that you're dead. And then uh, the actress did it. So, uh, oh, I didn't Jim realize Cia, that was one headshot. <laughs> yeah, that was one. That was a winner. That was a one-minute shot. And Hitchcock said, you have to keep your eye open for that long. So <laughs> it was a killer shot, you know, and it worked. Fuck. Man, the thing <clears throat> that you go through to get the perfect shot. But So Genesee <laughs> and Louise bury uh, Edna in the family plot of the Genesee mausoleum. And then we cut to at dinner, we see that uh, Christiane has that face on, and she is fucking beautiful. Like, she is. Like, she just has that youthful look, the big eyes. I was like, oh, she's so cute. <laughs> you know, you just want to hug her and be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. <laughs> like, you know, and she's like, well, what am I going to do now? Like, my face is fine, but everybody thinks I'm dead. And Genesee is like, yeah, it's all right. You know what? You're just going to know a trick. Give me some money. Change your name. You could be like uh, Christina now. I mean, Christina, throwing names <laughs> out there. Um, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. Like, you know, just, what about my fiancé? <sighs> yeah, that's a hard one. But, you know, what? I'll just tell him what happened and have no fear that he won't go to the police or do anything funny. Because why would he? That's <laughs> all. And, you know, yeah. and if he does, I'll take his face off, too. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, he's promising, you know, yeah, you know, you can start things anew. We're going to sit there and start you off, you know, give you a new life, you know. But then he happens to notice just something slightly off. Something, yeah, you know, not quite right. Not quite right. He has to go take care of emergency. And you see throughout the movie that Christiane has been trying to call Jacques. You know, she picks up the phone at one point and can't see anything. She just hangs up. You know, can't do it. Stalker, and then we see... Stalker, stalker. <laughs> <laughs> so we see over a course of, I think it was like 20 days, um, yeah. where the skin is deteriorating on her face. Like, it's just, there's boils and there's things happening to her face. And I love how they showed it. You know, the slow... And again, uh, great effects. <laughs> like, again, not expecting this kind of effects. 1959, you know, and I was like, oh man, look at this skin rot and what they're showing here, you know, and the boils and deterioration and stuff like that. Nicely done, guys. <laughs> it was really well done. Um, so she eventually decides that she has to wear the mask again, and she decides she's going to call Jacques one more time, and she manages to say his name and hers before Louise is like, what are you doing with the phone? The fuck off there. You're not allowed to have phone for bullshit around here. And she's like, sorry, I just, you I know, just, you, I want to die. You know you're not supposed to call boys. My bad. <laughs> so, of course, you just need to yeah. call her ID. That, that was the problem. You know what's funny with this sequence? <laughs> Up until this point, I actually thought no. that the mask was like, uh, was like, like a porcelain doll mask. I didn't realize right. that it was okay. a rubber mask. You know, because yeah. you don't see it move at any point until this moment when she talks. 
Yeah, yeah I, I thought the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought the exact same thing was it was a porcelain doll style mask. And then, yeah, we for the first time we actually see her talk. You know, and mm-hmm. again, you know, this is the problem with the scenes that we had seen her before is what she's trying to emote is, you know, straight up, you know, no talking, no nothing. You know, I'm going to sit there and have completely these completely mute moments. And, you know, seeing it over and over and over again, I was like, oh, bitch, come the fuck on. <laughs> and I do love the fact that John Carpenter recently tried to say that he got his inspiration for the Michael Myers mask because of this movie. No, you didn't, sir. No, you didn't. <laughs> we know where the inspiration came from, sir. It was the Captain Kirk mask. It wasn't this movie. Stop trying to take credit where it's not due, sir. Don't be artistic. <laughs> don't be artistic. No. I saw you're that John Carpenter. Like, no, you didn't. Yeah. You're like, great, fine, but, but, you're, you're, but you're not artistic, sir. <laughs> not like that. You weren't even there when they picked up the mask. So, anyway, um, Jacques, after getting that phone call, decides to go to Detective Perot and find out what's going on. Like, I, I think Christiane is alive. You know, I, I, she called me. You know, maybe it's something weird going on in Perot. I was like, ah, you know what? You're probably just making up things because I was there. I saw the body. Like, it's just there's no way that she's still alive. And, you know, look at all these testimonies I have of, oh, I saw this. I saw that. There's a woman with a pearl choker necklace. Wait, yeah, what? Well, and he's like, that's fucked up. That reminds me of Louise. She wears a similar choker necklace. And he's like, well, anyway, so why don't you just get out yeah, of here? Like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, every time she comes in, the same music plays. <laughs> yep. So we find out that a shoplifter that got caught earlier in the movie, Paulette Muradon, she comes back to police HQ. So they let her go with a stern warning. She has similar blue eyes and a similar style to the victims that are being taken. So they decide to talk to her, and they're like, yeah, you can go to jail for a long time for what you did, but if you help us, we could probably make things go away. And she's like, well, what do I have to do? Well, you've got to dye your hair blonde. And she's like, but I don't like being blonde. And they're like, well, too bad, bitch. We need you. You don't want to go to jail. She's like, okay, okay, For a fine, split second, fine, fine. she's busy sizing him up, wondering if she really could take both those dicks, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they decide to, to follow Jacques' lead that maybe there is something going on with Genissier. So they send Paulette to the clinic with her hair dyed blonde, and she's going to receive treatment until she's finally declared healthy. But however, on her way back to home, Paris, she gets picked up by Louise. Play my music. She is brought back to the villa, and Genesee wastes no time. Got to get that face off, man. But this time, however, just as he's about to begin the surgery, Louise comes in. She's like, hey, so the cops are here, and you might have to go out and talk to him. He's like, well, fuck. Doesn't even bother to get out of his scrubs. Doesn't even bother to take them off. Just, all right, I'm going to go talk to them, and everything is going to be okay. Like, you, know, you think you would take okay. out your scrubs and you put, you know, get back into your suit and be like, no, I was not about to take off somebody's face. I was just <laughs> hanging out watching TV. Yeah. You no, know, but, but, then, 
but then we find out the fucked up thing is the hospital where he's been working and seeing patients <laughs> and taking care of patients, all right, is not in town, all right, because this entire time, I thought this hospital oh, yeah, was no, in town. No, it's, it's far just down the down. fucking driveway. It's just, it's right down the fucking driveway. He literally walks there from his house. So apparently his clinic that he runs is right down the fucking driveway. And so people come from all over the fucking country to see him in the middle of the fucking woods to go to his clinic. Yeah, and it gave me, like, serious vibes to Cronenberg because in Rabid, it was a similar situation where they just had this clinic and it was connected to a house. And then in the brood, where Oliver Reed worked, his clinic was in the fucking woods attached to a house, which was right next to a driveway. I'm like, man, did Cronenberg watch these movies? And he was like, yeah, that's how I want it. Every clinic has to be attached to, like, a house in the driveway. <laughs> like, it was so weird to see it happen in this movie. I was like, he obviously had to get some kind of idea uh, from the way but that Genetier the, has his no way. Yeah, yeah. But because of the way they sit there and make it seem, it's in the middle of the fucking city. <laughs> and the earlier the movie, but, then, but apparently, yeah. nope, there it is, right there, in the same fucking driveway. <laughs> you really thought that it was in the city? Because I never got that vibe. Like, I always thought it was outside the city. Like, you have to take a train or a car to get to that delaying clinic. Like, they were attached, no. but it's not, like, right in the center of Paris. I, yeah, I, 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 it was no, I didn't... I thought it was, like, in the oh, village, uh, let's say. You know what I mean? I didn't think it was, like, mm-hmm. I figured it might be in the town or something like that. I didn't. I also didn't think that it was, like, right there on his property. Okay. I took it as it was in the town or whatnot because when he's seeing the boy, you see other scenes outside of the windows other than trees. So you see a town and stuff like that. So that's why I, I took it that as it was in the, t- in the middle of the town. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm the only one that thought that it was attached. You know, like the the villa was right there, and then the clinic was right there. So in case there was any emergencies, he could just leave his house and go over to the clinic and take care of whatever patients needed help. So, I mean, it's the way I took it, you know. But um, with with uh, this patient being at the hospital, that is the the undercover, you know, person. Um, she is quite healthy. You're fine. And like I said, she gets captured by Louise. Then when Perot shows up with Jacques and his partner, they go and talk to Genesee and they're like, hey, um, did Paulette check out like any time recently? And of course, Genesee is like, I don't know. Let me talk to the receptionist. Oh, yeah, she checked out. Uh, yep, Perot, she checked out. Okay, sorry to bother you. Bye. I'm like, wow, <laughs> these guys. Yeah, I see bitches all day <laughs> no, long. What are you talking about? about? Yeah. They come, they like, go. One we have a sting one operation thing. going on. <laughs> Once they step out my door, then none of my business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that, like, they don't press them any further. They're not like, are you sure? You know, because apparently she was supposed to get back home to Paris, and she hasn't gotten home yet. She called home, and she hasn't appeared. Well, that's the craziest thing I've heard all day, guys. Okay, sorry to bother <laughs> you. I'm like, you know, they, they don't question them any further. And they're just like, yeah, well, let's get out of here. And, of course, because even Jock try- apologizes. Because they're trying not to be Haddonfield police. That's why. <laughs> yeah, part five Haddonfield police. <laughs> part five Haddonfield police. I definitely fit that category. Because, like I said, even Jock, when they re- uh, when they come back to him, he's like, yeah, I'm sorry with your time, guys. 
oh, that's all right. We get bad leads all the time. You have a good night. It's like, what? You got mm-hmm. a already? <laughs> You're not going to check out anything? You're just going to take See it? You okay, later. Well, that, that's Haddonfield 5 police, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, after they decide to leave, we see that Christiane has been in the room where Paulette's going to be operated on the entire time, just kind of watching her. And she decides, all right, I'm, I'm done. Like, I am done with everything. I'm just going to have to release her, and we're just going to have to figure out where to go next. So she sees Paulette awaken, starting to cry, trying to break out of restraints. Christiane frees her, and then Louise walks in. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, yeah, how about right to the neck, bitch? Oh, Wait, shit. <laughs> she's like, why did you do this? And she's like, because I had to. Because <laughs> I don't like you anymore. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is fucking Sudden up. turn of character. See, I did not believe oh. you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I did not see this in the French Revolution of filming in the 60s. Oh, I said that. Wait, one more. I, one I, more. I, I never ah. thought that you would do this, Christian. <laughs> I thought we were cool. We went on that discotheque date, remember? And it was fun, and you liked it? Why are you stabbing me now? And, yeah, <laughs> Louise gets a knife to the neck, and she dies. So Christian decides, you know what? The dog's got to go, too. Everybody gets out tonight. And she starts releasing the dogs from their cages as Genesier is like, oh, shit, what's going on? Oh, no, not the dogs. And they're all like, that's that fucking guy. And they all dogpile on top of Genesee. He's like, no, 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 And you get the shots of the dogs. The dogs. And I know, King, you were like, and I, and I know you, you know, the interview was like, oh, my God, for all the horror movies where fucking dogs get it, you were like, yes, go, go, rip that motherfucker apart. But... Oh, no I'm dogs so are getting fucking hurt in this movie. Eat that bitch. Yeah. I was so except, happy when they took care of Which, again, yes, definitely the comeuppance of the, of the doctor with the dogs and all that stuff. You know, like, my only problem with this, and again, it's, it's 1959. Um, yeah. You know, they, they really weren't well-trained dogs because the dogs themselves start fighting with each other (laughs) and then you see the you know you see a couple dogs trying to like rip into other dogs and it's like I wonder how many dogs were injured on the on the set of this movie (laughs) oh they did have that great shot of the two dogs fighting where they just bounce into each other and I was like oh shit no things are going south yeah (laughs) oh shit yeah Yeah. (laughs) I was surprised we didn't see two dogs humping in the background just because they wanted to (laughs) I was like but apparently the dogs are, you know, <laughs> but, you know, she's not done there because then she's also going to release the pigeons. She's going to go and release <laughs> the, the pigeons. Yes, yeah, the, the doves. Oh, sorry. It was, yeah. bl- it was black and white. I could not tell if it was doves or pigeons. Okay. Oh, they were yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, just Okay. Like Carpenter, this is what this, this is what inspired John Woo to always have doves in his movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So I saw I saw the face and I was like, you know what? I need doves in every movie that I make. But yeah. So uh, Dr. Genesier has been torn apart by the dogs, and we see his mangled face. It's like, ah, ha, ha, your face is fucked up. You deserve it, bitch. You know because you fucked up Christian's face, but. He's done, and Christiane releases the doves, taking one with her as she walks into the woods. <clears throat> Fate unknown, and then we kick into the credits where Billy Idol's eyes out of face plays. It does. 
It really doesn't. No, 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 because we had to say, go, no, we're doing a long shot, okay? So we have the, the doves being released. But then, come on, man, seriously, you guys did not notice, like, all the doves that are, were literally being thrown in front of the camera? It's like, it was, oh, yeah. like doves could not fly with the damn, you know, for five minutes, just doves, throw, throw, it was like a bad wedding. You know, just, just throw the fucking doves. It has to be majestic. We have to make it pretty. Throw those fucking doves. Make it look pretty, you motherfuckers. She is walking <laughs> off awesome. to her freedom. And the doves need to signify her innocence. Get some more oh. fucking doves out there, please. Oh, we just got it out of speak. Aha. But the thing is, is that when when we see Dr. Genesia's body dead, mangled by all the dogs, and she releases a dove and starts to walk into the woods, I wish that they had her take off her mask and just throw it to the ground, you know, and leave the, the villa, you know. Instead, she keeps it on. I was like, it would have been more impactful for me anyway if she had decided to take off that mask and be like, I'm going to live as my true self. Like, I'm alive, but I am fucking mangled. And that's how my face is going to look. I look like a weird V alien meets Freddy Krueger, but at the same time, that's me. It's Christiane. But, you know, she keeps it on. Oh. Okay, now, see, that would have been a cool, cool final shot. You know, if you had to sit there and do the, you know, fiend is her taking the mask and throwing it to the ground, and then the mask laying on the ground, and then you sit there and do the fiend. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. He's not coming back and walks off the beach as all the Australian co- oh, that's Sorry, wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the right movie. That, that, was, that was Point Break, that, my bad. That's Point Break. That's Johnny Utah. <laughs> he ain't coming back. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's just, to me it would have been more impactful, but, you know, because she didn't want to wear that mask. Like, she didn't. Her father was the one that said, you got to wear this mask. Like, you got to hide your face. So to to have that moment where she takes it off and is kind of liberated, you know, I would love to have that extended scene where she goes to Jacques' house and she's like, "My love, I am here," and he's like, "Oh my God, what the fuck's wrong with the face?" I never, I never took it as she, as it was just her father that didn't like her face. I think after the accident, mm-hmm. she too, especially because of people's reactions yeah. to it. You know, at, oh, at yeah. one point, Edna's gonna see her face and Edna's gonna fucking totally bug out. You know. She did. She really did. And that's the thing is that, like I said, when she tries to call Jacques that last time and says his name and says her name, you know, she tells Louise, I want to die. Like, kill me. Like, I don't want to be alive anymore. Like, I don't want to live this way anymore. Um, and, of course, Louise is like, don't worry about it. He's going to fix you. You just got to give him time. The guy's a genius. And she's like, well, I don't have time to waste. Like, I'm tired of living this way because she's a prisoner wearing this mask. So the, the fact that he dies at the end and Louise is dead for her to take off that mask and kind of be liberated. You know, it, it, it's a, a thought, you know, that would have made it better. But the fact that it just ends kind of like a fairy tale with her weaving with the doves. I'm like, what? It kind of I guess too. I also, I also took the ending though, as she could possibly be going to off herself. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't Maybe. know if it's yeah. necessarily yeah. a happy ending for this character. I think she, uh, you I know, don't she, think so. she got rid of, Everybody else, and you know, I don't, I don't yeah. think she's gonna go on to live a happy life either. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, we're also talking about the French, where you know, well, nah, yeah, but I, I agree with the goal though, where it's like we're talking about yeah. the French, where you know, uh, you know, suicide, if you will, uh-huh. is, you know, is done when done right is considered a glamorous act. Yeah, and I just it, to me, like I said at the beginning, I, I just I, I I really like this movie, like it, it's the start of the French New Wave in the cinema in the '60s, and it's well worth a watch. Yes, it's a slow burn. It's not gory. It's not so much horror, but it's a movie like the the monkey had said. Put it on a Sunday. You know, you got nothing to watch. You know, this is like a perfect Sunday. I'm gonna lay back and I'm gonna see what the French were doing back in the '60s. Um, and then I get it released hard. in America as a horror chamber. You do? Okay. I, uh, well, you know, I I absolutely I absolutely do. Just I like Doctor Moreau and, and other films of yes. that nature. That's like saying Frankenstein is not a horror film. You know, this this is man, you know, versus man in this case. Man versus trying to be God. Self, really, you know, as, as this doctor is trying to be God and you know and, and having these, yeah. these issues. So I think it is absolutely yeah, horror. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do thank you, Monkey, for the pick. It is. It, it's a very, very good pick. Cool, We're talking about Ghoul. picks. Ghoul, next week it is your pick. What are we talking about? You know, I originally was going to go with that uh, that new They Them movie that's on Peacock. Um, I watched but it. But I have I have well, you know what? I have completely detoured. Uh, in a lot of okay. ways, I guess I guess we we can thank the dean for it because he gave me a bit of inspiration. Ooh. But so, but so, so did my, my Facebook my Facebook feed. Um, you know, it's that time of year now where our Facebook feeds are going to be loaded with your kids' smiling faces or miserable poses as they're wearing the snazziest of clothes. And they go back to school. So guess what, people? School is in session. And next week, that is exactly where we're going to go. We're going to go to 1990, and we're going to see a little bit of the future from 1990 with the spiritual successor to class of 1984, except we're going to go with class of 1999. Class of 1999. Oh, Oh, shit. Malcolm McDowell in the house. Oh man! Yeah, we are talking about. I am a skyboard. Oh, I'm a fan of movies. Oh my god, dude! I am such a fan of this movie. Malcolm McDowell, Tracy Lynn, Stacey Keach, Pam Greer. Oh my god, dude! Nice one. I am looking forward to the class 1999 next week. It is available is awesome. on Movie Monkey, available. so uh, so you will be able yeah, to find it right there, nice and free <laughs> for you. All right, thanks, baby. Awesome. Uh, any chance we get to talk about Malcolm McDowell in a movie, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's what we're going to be talking about next week, uh, Class of 1999. So thank you so much for that pick. Really looking forward to breaking it down. Uh, hopefully the dean will be back with us to talk about it. Uh, we'll see. But we're always here. So, again, Monkey, thank you so much for the pick. Eyes is on the face. And why don't you go ahead and sign yourself off? Okay, all of you beautifully twisted creatures out there, like a 19... 19- Sex in 1959, Citrion DS19. No, 1959, Citrion DS19. The sexy ass car that Dr. Jean Sierre drove in this fucking movie. Thanks for letting me come in your ear. Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right. And Ghoul, why don't you go ahead and sign yourself off? Resta Efray. Everybody. Resta Efray. 
Stay scared. in French. Stay scared. Get me hard. Yeah, I love oh, oh, oh. I am probably I am probably butchering the language, so if I start a war with France, <laughs> I apologize. But hey, it is what it is. I read phonetically, okay? Yeah, our our fans in France, please send all your hate mail to the ghoul so he could realize you know, that he needs to pronounce things better. Oh, 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 ghoul, you did not say it right. This is how you say it, you fool. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I guess I can never go to Paris now because they'll be waiting with signs. That was a ghoul. He doesn't know how to pronounce French words. <laughs> I thought you did well, but that's fine. So anyway... As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror Energy, saying thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail Odorous. By the way, watch that Guar documentary on Shudder. It's fucking tight. Check it out. Watch it. Long live Odorous. Keep America strong. Watch horror movies. Until we see you next time for Class of 1999. Let's go to the future, baby, by way of 1990.